0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on September 5th, Lord's Day Service. to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now to verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Heavenly Father, may our hearts be easily impressed by your word, insensitive to every impulse of your spirit. Father, as we're surrounded by a new place and new sounds and new visuals, may those things not distract us uh, from worshiping you, from receiving the preaching of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Mark chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus said, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. The word manifest means clear and evident. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing is hidden except to be made clear and evident. With these words, Jesus destroys the current theological fiction that Christian faith can be exercised freely so long as it is kept private. There's a new faction that now says, yeah, we believe in religious freedom. When you're in your home, you can practice whatever religion you want. When you're inside the four walls of your church, you can practice whatever religion you want. We really believe in religious freedom. So long as you're in your home, so long as you're in your church, just keep it private and don't make it public. But Christians don't agree with that new definition of religious freedom. Why not? Because Jesus said, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is giving his philosophy of the progress of the kingdom of God in the world. In the first part of Mark chapter 4, the parable of the soils... Directed our attention to the condition of the soils, to the condition of those who hear the word of God And the parable teaches that ground without right soil to grow Can't grow a healthy plant and won't receive the word of God that is planted In this passage this morning, in particular Mark chapter 4 verses 21 through 25 Jesus directs our attention to the condition of the hearers He that has no ears to hear the music of Christ remains unmoved. And we see two things in this passage. First, we see that Christ is given for illumination. And second, we see that ears are given for hearing. So first, let us consider how Christ is given for illumination. Look with me again in verses 21 and 22. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. You see, before we understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand why is Jesus saying it. So why is Jesus saying this? Well, if you go a few verses earlier, in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, Jesus told the disciples that he taught in parables in order to conceal his meaning. Jesus' precise wording in Mark chapter 4, verse 12, or excuse me, verse 11, For those outside, everything is in parable, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. But then we get to verse 21 and 22 and Jesus seems to be saying the exact opposite. He says in verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so which is it? Are the parables intended to conceal as chapter four verses 10 through 12 suggest, or are the teachings of Jesus intended to reveal as Mark chapter four verses 21 and 22 suggest? And so you have to see that what Jesus says here in verses 21 through 25 is intended to clarify what was said in verse 11 and 12. After hearing Mark chapter 4, verse 12, the disciples are tempted to infer that Christ's teaching is to be esoteric. It's to be obscure. It's to be mysterious. It's to be cryptic. So in order to correct that false inference, Jesus says in verse 21 that his teaching, which must include the parables, his teaching is a lamp. And and more precisely, this lamp is probably referring to Christ himself. And so Jesus' more precise point in verse 21 is that his teaching about the kingdom of God, his teaching about himself is a lamp. What is the purpose of a lamp? Well, the only purpose of a lamp is to light up. The purpose of a lamp is to enlighten. In other words, Jesus speaks in parables not to not teach, but to teach. Parables are used to convey his message for those for whom it is intended. See, parables have many purposes. To those who profane Christ, to those who are indifferent to Christ, parables are like riddles. And those people do not profit from them. To those who openly consider Christ, to those who are attentive to the things of Christ, parables are like a lamp that reveal the truth. And so you might hear what Jesus is saying here, in particular in verses 10 through 12, and you might think, but why would Jesus ever want to conceal his meaning? And I suppose there are several reasons. But consider just the immediate context of this passage. The scribes and the Pharisees are listening to Jesus' teaching, and they are aligning against Him. In fact, Jesus is often teaching in a mixed audience, meaning there's some scribes and Pharisees there who are out to get Him, and then there's other people there who who become His disciples. He's teaching to these mixed audiences filled with people who want to destroy Him and with people who want to follow Him. That's a tough audience to teach to. And so, those who are out to destroy Jesus hear Jesus' parables, and they're puzzled. It's like they just heard an unsolvable riddle. And so, instead of being driven to rage and violence against Jesus, they're confused. And this delays their violence against Jesus until Christ is ready for the crucifixion. Those who are receptive to Jesus hear the same teaching— but they are learning about Christ. They are learning about the kingdom of heaven. And this is what verse 25 is about. Look at it. Jesus says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So for, the, for to the one who has, that is, to those who openly consider Christ, more will be given. And from the one who has not, that is, to those who profane Christ even what he has will be taken away. See this is the underlying philosophy of the parabolic teachings of Jesus. And so to reset the question, did Christ teach in parables to conceal as verses 10 through 12 suggest or did Christ teach in parables to reveal as verses 21 and 22 suggest? And the answer is both. And this is perfectly consistent. BB Warfield calls it the amazing paradox of secrecy. Now, at this point, realize what we're doing. We haven't even tried. In the context, we're trying to understand why is Jesus saying what he's saying in verses 21 and 22, and we see that what he's doing is he's clarifying. A very confusing thing that he said in verses 10 through 12, or at least something that might be confusing to those who heard it. And so now that we understand why Jesus is saying what he's saying in verses 21 through 25, now we can understand more of what he is saying. And what he's saying, the bigger point of Mark chapter 4 verses 21 through 22, is that Christ is given for illumination. So look at it again, verses 21 and 22, and understand that the lamp is probably referring to Christ himself. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? And not only is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Notice the phrases in verse 22. To be made manifest, it says. Another phrase in verse 22 to come to light. And so Jesus' point is that the truths of Christ, the truths of Christianity, are not limited to the few. Going back to the first century, even through the present day, there has been mystery religions aplenty. This was especially common in Jesus' day. And in those mystery religions, only the special elite are invited to be initiated into the special room by ceremony. Well, Jesus' point in verses 21 and 22 is Christianity is not like that. In Christianity, there are no secret handshakes. In Christianity, there is no complicated oath. In, In Christianity, there are no secret symbols. Now, Jesus did speak in parables, and He did tell us that part of the purpose of that was to conceal things from His enemy so that they wouldn't see the full game plan and thwart His purposes before He was ready. But the truth of Jesus is for the whole world. This is not a mystery religion. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not intended to be kept private in the back room with the secret handshake. It is to be put on a stand and light up the whole room. And then if you start to zoom out and look at the next two parables Jesus tells right after this, we then have the parable of the growing seed in verses 26 through 29. And that goes on to clarify that Jesus is known when the word of God is widely scattered. It's not a concealed thing. It's not a mystery religion for the back room. And then the parable of the mustard seed in verses 30 through 34 teaches that the result of the widely scattered word of God is a kingdom far bigger than you could ever imagine. See, Jesus is not presenting a mystery religion that is to be concealed. He is a lamp to be put on a stand in the middle of the room. Christianity is not esoteric it is not a mystery religion designed to hide things or designed to make things complicated. You don't have to walk this, uh, this, this ladder of revelation. Certainly, you don't have to pay money to walk up the ladder of revelation as some mystery religions force you to do. No, that's not what Christianity is doing. It's not trying to hide things or conceal things. The lamp's purpose is to illuminate things. And Jesus explains in verses 21 through 22 that if you wish to light up a room, you don't wedge the lamp under the bed. What do you do if you want to light up the room? Well, you put the lamp on a stand in the middle of a room. And understand, when you put a lamp on a stand in the middle of the room, the light is going to go to all four corners and we're not talking about a room here we're talking about the world the lamp of jesus christ is on a stand in the world and the entire intention is that that light would go to the four corners of the earth see again the parable in verses thirty through thirty-four the mustard seed it's going to grow it's going to grow large this is not some small thing that's going to be concealed to a limited few and so the first thing we see in this passage is that Christ is given for illumination. The second thing we see in this passage is that ears are given for hearing. Look with me now in verses 23 and 24. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So Jesus says in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention is in the imperative mood, which means this is a command. This isn't a suggestion. Jesus is commanding you to pay attention. Take heed how you hear, for hearing is a high calling. Many of you young people just started school. You started the the new school year. And I would love for every Christian student, before they start their studies this year, K through 12, college, or even you lifelong learners, remember that Jesus commanded you to pay attention to what you hear. Take heed how you hear, for hearing is a high calling. But your own experience tells you that hearing is not natural. Hearing is not the natural disposition of human beings. Most would rather talk than hear, and if they don't want to talk, most would rather zone out in daydream into mindless mush. Whatever it is, we don't want to hear. That's not the natural disposition of man but this command pay attention is connected to the parable of the four soils that's in the first part of mark chapter 4 remember, remember excuse me remember there were four soils three soils rejected the word of God, One received it and bore fruit. And so Jesus here is reaffirming the point of that parable. He's saying, pay attention. Imperative command, not suggestion. Pay attention to the Word of God. Pay attention to the truth of God revealed in natural revelation. Don't just assume you are the good soil, but instead diligently prepare the soil of your heart to pay attention and receive what you hear. And we hear that. And we don't like to hear. We like to talk rather than hear. Or we like to daydream rather than hear. And so we hear what Jesus says and we think, "Ah, but, but why should I pay attention? Why should I pay attention? Well, look what he says. He gives you a reason in verse 24. He says, pay attention to what you hear. Why? With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So, why do we pay attention? The reason we pay attention is because the measure you use it will be measured to you. Did that clear things up? Probably not, this is a difficult saying. And what does that mean? Like, we're supposed to pay attention because the measure you use it will be measured to you? What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that the way we respond to the truth, the way we engage with the truth, the way we digest the truth, in other words, the way we pay attention, will be repaid proportionally. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. It will be repaid proportionally. Jesus says this so that you will give full, complete, and heartfelt attention to the truth of God's Word and to the truth that comes through natural revelation. B.B. Warfield calls this the simile of equitable measuring. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. It's the simile of equitable measuring. It's a warning against the indifferent shrug we give to God. If you shrug indifferently at God, then with the measure you shrug, God will shrug at you. But then notice what it also said at the end of verse 24, and still more will be added to you. God's shrug, shrug will be bigger than your initial shrug. And the point is that there is no safety when we ignore the word of God. You notice how modern people are obsessed with safety? Parents obsessed with safety. We're always obsessed with safety about every little thing. Okay, so you want safety? Here's your safety. There is no safety when we ignore the Bible. Safety is when we pay attention. That's the safest thing you can do in the world. If you want your children to be safe, the safest thing you can teach them is to pay attention. Why? Why is that the safest thing? Because with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. If they grow up with a disposition of shrugging at God, with the measure they shrug at God, they will then be shrugged back at. The safest thing you can do is to pay attention to the truth of God and those who are open to the truth understand those who aren't open to the truth don't understand that's the point of verse 25 now in all of this Jesus is not denying that It is God who overcomes our sinful resistance. In all of this, Jesus is not denying that salvation is by faith and that faith is a gift. Jesus is not denying that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Him. Jesus' point is that ears are given for hearing. The emphasis is on the condition of the hearers. He that has ears to hear, hears beautiful gospel music. And so if you have read that, if you have understood what Jesus is saying, especially in verses 23 through 24, and you understand that Jesus is commanding us to pay attention to the word of God and that the safest thing you can do in this world is to pay attention to the word of God, then the natural next question you're going to have is, okay, how do I hear the word of God? I I understand I'm supposed to pay attention to the word of God. I want to do that. How do I do that? How do I hear the word of God? or to take it out of a question into an assertion. The the central application point of this teaching is that you should diligently prepare the soil of your heart to pay attention and receive the truth of God that you hear. And so let's consider three ways to hear the Word of God. Three ways to hear the Word of God. First, we need to hear God's Word with humility hear God's word with humility. The opposite of humility is pride, and pride is Roundup for the word of God. Do some of you men do that thing where you spray Roundup along the edges of your yard so you don't have to weed eat? Right? So, So I know, I've seen it, you know how Roundup works. Well, when you read the Bible with pride, it's like spraying Roundup on your heart. What does pride look like? when you're hearing the Word of God. What does it look like to hear the Word of God with pride? Well, to hear the Word of God with pride is the confident nonsense that you know better than God. So, in preparation for hearing the Word of God, remember the words of Isaiah 66 too, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And then pray like King David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so the first way to hear the word of God is to hear it with humility. The second way to hear God's word is to hear God's word with expectancy. Hear God's word with expectancy. In other words, we should expect gifts from God's Word. In God's Word, we are hearing what God thinks about things. Now just think about how excited you would be if you could sit and receive wisdom from a great wise man, and then realize that in the Bible we are hearing from the God of all wisdom who created that wise man. We should hear God's Word expecting the possibility of life-changing encounters. We should hear God's Word expecting to receive truths that our culture is blind to. And if you don't hear God's Word with an attitude of expectancy, then you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of the possibility of hearing the words of eternal life. And so, how should we hear the Word of God? First, we should hear it with humility. Second, we should hear it with expectancy. Third, we should hear it with a prayerful attitude hear God's Word with a prayerful attitude. It's easy to get sucked into the idea that studying the Word of God is purely academic. There may be some academic tools involved, but it is a spiritual exercise primarily. And so we should do it with a prayerful attitude. And when you start to think about it, there's a lot of things we should do with a prayerful attitude that we probably don't. You know, we should go to work with a prayerful attitude. We should dry on 565 with a prayerful attitude. I've seen you doing that too. You know, you're shaking your fist at people. Best case scenario, you're shaking a fist at people. We should discipline our kids with a prayerful attitude. Children, you should receive the discipline of your parents with a prayerful attitude. I mean, There's a lot of things we should do with a prayerful attitude, and that includes how we hear the Word of God. And so on this matter, we should follow the wisdom of Psalm 119. Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies. That's how you hear the Word of God, with a prayerful attitude. Psalm 119.27, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Psalm 119.2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Psalm 119.130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Psalm 119.37, "'Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, "'and give me life in your ways.'" And so we've heard the Word of God. Let's imagine, we've heard the Word of God, and we're continually hearing the Word of God. So then, what is that gonna produce? What does hearing produce? Well, let's remember the context. Jesus is speaking this to the 12 disciples. It is most immediately a warning to them to look with care and loving examination upon the teachings of Christ. Do not fail, Jesus is saying. Do not fail to hear and ponder these things I'm teaching you. Do not fail, Jesus is saying, to understand and profit from my teaching. But of course this stretches further than just the 12 disciples. This passage comes to us in our times also. And so let us not fail to hear. Let us not fail to ponder and understand and receive the words of Jesus Christ. Do you think that Jesus Christ is something to be kept hidden in your heart? Do you think Christ is for mere private religion? then see that Christ is not to be kept hidden. Christ is not to be kept private. Christ is given for illumination. Do you have the ears to hear gospel music? Or are the words of Christ just vain, jangling, clamor in your ears? Is your heart filled with preconceptions and prejudices and sinful desires that dispels the light of the gospel in your heart? If that's you, then see that ears are given for hearing. And what should hearing produce? Well, hearing should produce faith. What is faith? Well, as we've already established previously, Christian faith is not some mysterious, complicated thing. The Bible describes faith with thick, concrete examples. Faith is the sort of thing that's exercised in life's trials. Faith is not an escape from those trials. It's the thing that gets you through those trials. Peter Lightheart explains faith by using the example of Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham, who expresses faith as obedience when he leaves Ur to go to a land he has not known. Abraham trusts that Yahweh will not abandon him or betray him, and so he goes without even knowing where he is going. That's faith. And so for Abraham, faith means believing that God will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. Abraham's faith involves believing that God's word is reliable, because God is reliable. And it also means acting on this confidence in God and his word. And so God says, go here and I'll be with you. Faithful Abraham goes. God says, I'll give you a land and a great seed. Faithful Abraham reorganizes his entire life around those promises. And so faith expresses itself in a life of loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, obeying Jesus, and following Jesus. In other words, faith is allegiance to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, taking his side in the great war that is human history. And faith is keeping faith. Faith's not a one-time act in the past. Faith is keeping faith. Faith is being loyal to the truth. Faith is believing what God says. Those who have faith join in the joyous song. Those who have faith tremble at His threats. Those who have faith believe that His promises will come to pass and they obey His commands. And so in conclusion, faith is a gift of God. And only those who have faith until the end will be saved. Only those who believe, only those who have faith, who keep faith, will be married to the Son for all eternity. Let us close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we ask for the grace to follow you wherever you go. Set our eyes to watch the steps of Jesus to pursue you in all your paths, at your table, in your word, in your providence, and in your promises. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you wanna find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com that's trinity reformed k i r k dot com.